The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
blessing by faith I've received from above. Oh, glory, my soul is made perfect in love. My prayer has prevailed, and this moment I know the blood is applied. I am whiter. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. When is repentance not enough? When is repentance not enough? There's an incredible story in the Old Testament. It's frankly terrifying to me. I've always thought that repentance was sufficient. And then walking in holiness, walking in righteousness. But this story clearly indicates that there's more required. Hezekiah, there was no king like him in all of Judah's history. He was a man who determined in his heart that he would serve the living God of heaven even as his as his father David had, that he would walk in the commands of the Lord. And he was richly blessed for walking in those commands, but finally made the decision that he was going to rebel against the king of Assyria. That was the great political power of the day he determined that he would rebel. He would stop paying taxes. And so the Assyrian king came to regain his position of power over Judah and sent the army. Now, Hezekiah did the right thing. He went to Isaiah the prophet and cried out to Isaiah, would he please go to the Lord? And would he make arrangements with the, with the Lord? Would he cry out? Would he pray? Would he get a word from God? 
And he did. And the Lord promised that he would deliver them. In Second Kings, the 19th chapter, he went to the temple and he spread out this letter from hell. He read it aloud to the Lord. And he prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Give ear, hear, O Lord, hear. Open your eyes, O Lord. See, listen to the words of Sennacherib that he has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands, and they've thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. And so Isaiah responded, and he said, You will be delivered. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death a 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up in the morning, there were all the dead bodies filling the tents. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp, and he withdrew, and he returned to Nineveh, which was his capital, and he, he remained there. He was in the temple worshipping his false god when two of his sons cut him down with a sword, and then they escaped. And his son succeeded him as king. Okay, that's the background for this story where repentance is not enough. Now in those days, chapter 20 of Second Kings, verse 1, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you're going to die. You're not going to recover. Well, when that word came to Hezekiah, he turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord, Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now immediately, questions begin to come up in my mind. Why is he weeping bitterly? What is in Hezekiah's heart that he clings so tenaciously to his life? Well, before Isaiah had left the middle court of the palace, the word of the Lord came to him, Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, and I will heal you. 
On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord, and I will add fifteen years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. And Isaiah directed him to some old-fashioned medicine. Take the figs, the dried figs, make a poultice of them, and put it on the boil. The boil would cause infection, septus, to move into his body, and that's probably what had happened. And he was dying. His fever was probably raging. But as he obeyed Isaiah's word, and his servants put an application of poultice of figs to draw out the poison, he began to recover. But before Isaiah had left him, he said, What will be the sign that the Lord will heal me, that I should go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now? Again, just a little warning sign. First, he's unwilling to let the Lord accomplish what he wants to accomplish in Hezekiah's life. God has a reason for wanting to take Hezekiah home. He knows something is buried deep in Hezekiah's heart. And frankly, he doesn't want to walk through with Hezekiah the painful process of exposing what is in his heart. And now he's asking for a sign. I mean, if you look at the children of Israel, they came out of Egypt under the mighty hand of God with incredible plagues and miracles being worked to cause the Egyptians to cast them out of Egypt. As they come out, they have a pillar of cloud that they follow during the day, and they have a pillar of fire at night that lights their camp. They see every day the miraculous power of God being demonstrated on their behalf. They go through the Red Sea. They see the hand of God deliver them from the Egyptians. The Lord says, you're never going to have to fight against these Egyptians again. They see the dead bodies washed up on the shore. They have been delivered, and then they're delivered with food, manna, for 40 years. Tons and tons of manna delivered to them. The bread of heaven, a perfectly balanced nutritional diet. They see the miracle of God time after time after time, and yet they refuse to believe God. I'm saying all of this to say signs will not make a believer of you. It's faith in Jesus Christ as you walk with him in obedience to his word. Faith doesn't come from miracles. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. But now he's asking for a sign. He wants the son to go back Ten steps on the staircase. This is a spectacular sign. 
impossible to any human being to back the sun up. The prophet Isaiah calls upon the Lord, and the Lord makes the shadow go back the ten steps that had gone down. And so the king of Babylon hears about this. This is a spectacular sign. And as the king of Babylon, who is the power broker at this time, he gets this word about this miraculous event. Their astronomers tracked the sun backing up, and they're saying, what has caused this? And they're told it's the God of the Israelites. So the king of Babylon sends Hezekiah letters and gifts because he'd heard that Hezekiah had been sick. So Hezekiah receives the messengers and he promptly promptly begins to show them everything that's in his storehouse, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, his armory, everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in Hezekiah's palace or in all of his kingdom that that he did not show these Babylonian emissaries. Then Isaiah the prophet went to the king, King Hezekiah, and he asked, What did those men say? Where did they come from? Well, he said, from a distant land. They came from Babylon. And Isaiah asked, well, what did they see in your palace? Well, they saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Are you getting as concerned as I am? The king of Babylon did not send a messenger with gifts to King Hezekiah to look at his treasure or to look at all the things that Hezekiah was so proud of. He sent his emissaries to hear about the God of heaven who could make the sun go back. He wanted to know about this God. But Hezekiah didn't tell him about God. Instead, he showed him all of his material wealth. Now, if you turn over, keep your hand there in that place in Kings and go to Second Chronicles. Verse 24. In those days, this is Second Chronicles 32. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord, who answered him and gave him the miraculous sign that we just spoke of. But Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore the Lord's wrath was on him, and on Judah, and on Jerusalem. And then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore the Lord's wrath did not come upon them during the days of Hezekiah. 
Hezekiah was very rich. Great honor was shown him. His treasuries were full of silver and gold, precious stones, spices, shields, all kinds of valuables, instruments of war. He'd made buildings to store the harvest of grain and new wine and oil. He made stalls for various kinds of cattle and pens for the flocks. He built villages and acquired great numbers of flocks and herds, for God had given him very great riches. But remember, he had pride in his heart. And then he repented of that pride. He succeeded in everything he undertook. But when envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God left him to test him and know everything that was in his heart. Those are the most terrifying words I can hear that God will leave a man or a woman, pull back, so that that man or woman has no sense of the presence of God. And God is testing. God is testing to uncover what is in the heart of that person. Today, you may be in great trouble. You may have sickness. You may have afflictions. You may have the loss of a marriage or the loss of a job or the death of a child. And you're saying, where is God? It's like God is not here. Where is God? Why can't I sense him? Why isn't he answering my prayers? Why won't he hear my prayers? Well, God does hear your prayer. But a way of God is that he will withdraw from us in order to test us to see what is in our hearts. Sometimes this is not a very quick process. It may take even a matter of years because God wants to know and he wants you to know what is the truth of your heart. Is your heart, bottom line, is your heart proud? Do you have a proud heart? Now, you may have every blessing of God in your life. You may have riches. You may repent of your pride. It says in verse 26, this is Second Chronicles thirty-two twenty-six. then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, but his repentance was not sufficient. He became conscious of his pride, but he didn't repent of his pride. He repented, but it wasn't enough. There had to be more. There was still arrogance in his spirit. 
he was still in charge. Now, one of the one of the great struggles of my life, one of the great struggles of my life, has been: here are the promises of God. I pray those promises. I stand by faith on those promises. And nothing happens. I pray for the sick. And they don't recover. Why? Well, we're going to get into that this week. Out of the Gospel of John and and some other places in Scripture. But let's be plain. God wants to get to the very heart issue of our life. And most of the time, or often, when we pray and we need an answer from God, we are not seeking an answer that will build his kingdom. We're seeking an answer that will increase our comfort level. And of course... You and I both know that if you don't pray in accord with God's will, he's not going to hear you. There are conditions for God hearing your prayers. But let's not go there now. We'll we'll do that later this week. But let's come back and let's look at Hezekiah, who has repented of his pride, but God has has left him because he wants to know what's in Hezekiah's heart. Now, I want to tell you today, God wants to know what is in your heart. And he's going to bring about circumstances in your life that will test and try you. He wants to see how you will respond. Will you respond with unbelief, bitterness, cynicism, anger, as the children of Israel did? Or will you, in the midst of that struggle, simply lift your hands and praise the name of Jesus? And then will you do something else? Will you cry out for others? I don't know how to even talk about this. A man will weep bitterly for his own life, but then have no concern for others. That exposes the fullness of the pride of a man's heart. Second Kings, 20th chapter. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, that will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. 
Now, how would you expect Hezekiah to respond if he has truly repented of his sin of pride? Well, I would expect him to fall on his face like Moses did and begin to intercede and cry aloud for his his people, his children, his grandchildren. I would expect him to cry aloud and say, Oh God, don't let this horrible word be true, but cause your people to repent, and I repent. It would have caused a great stir in the heart of Moses or King David or others. But how did Hezekiah respond? Verse 19, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. What? It's not good. It's speaking of a destruction that's coming upon his land. He's the king. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? So all Hezekiah is concerned about is his continued prosperity, his peace, his security. He's concerned about his lifetime. He's not concerned about his people. See, pride does such a wicked thing in a man's heart. Pride twists a man on the inside so that he He looks at others with a sense of superiority. He looks at others as as though they're less than him. And his concern is self-centered. It's about his own security. It's about his own safety, not even about his family's security and safety. Hezekiah is concerned about his reputation. You see, he has repented for his pride, but he has not gone far enough. He has not gotten a new heart. He's still arrogant before the Lord because he has that old heart of flesh where his concern is not for others. His concern is for himself. This breaks my heart. can easily see myself in that picture being concerned about how am I going to survive and not about my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children not concerned about God's people concerned about myself And I've just cried aloud to the Lord over this. I awakened last night at about 3.30. I finally went back to sleep about 5.30. 
after having spent those three hours just crying out to God. See, it's not enough for us to repent before God. We have to have a new heart. And a new heart only comes from Jesus. We want God to answer our prayers, but you know what? He's testing us. Now it's almost two years ago when the Lord said to me, audibly, he said to me, wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Now, wait upon the Lord. I can't think of anything harder for a man to let his life go by as he waits on the Lord. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh. When my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You see, all of us can cry that way to the Lord. We want to be in the pleasant pastures of of the 23rd Psalm. We want plenty to eat and still waters to drink, and we want the wonderful blessings of God in our heart. But let me read some more. Verse 7. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Not seek his hand, seek his face. This is intimacy. Your face, Lord, I will seek. When Moses was saying to God, will you come with us to the promised land? If you're not going to send me, God, I'm not going to come. I'm not going to go. We either go with you or we don't go. Well, in the Hebrew, it's, if your face does not come with us, God. Moses always sought the face of God, not the hand of God. He says, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. O God, my Savior, Though my father and mother forsake me in the Lord, the Lord, he will receive me. Now, this is key. Teach me your ways, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path. 
do not turn me over to the desires of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. Now here's the key. Verses 13 and 14. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. That word wait in the Hebrew means to bind together, to twist together. That is, to collect together. That is to asking God to collect your life together and then to bind it up like a sheath so that you're not splattered everywhere. And in that place, you're seeking the face of God. You're not seeking the recognition of men. You're not seeking the pleasure of life. You're not seeking promotion. You're not seeking anything but the face of God. And you can only seek the face of God by waiting before him. Now it's almost two years. He said to me, wait upon the Lord. And so I've basically almost withdrawn from all public ministry except this radio broadcast. And my time is spent literally waiting before the Lord. I'm in the prayer closet. I'm crying out before God. He's dealing with my heart. He's testing me to know what is in my heart. Is it the bottom part of my heart still filled with hardness? Am I still obstinate? Do I still have wickedness in the very bottom of my heart where all of my repentance hasn't touched? He wants to know that. And there is nothing that exposes a man so completely as waiting on the Lord. When you wait on the Lord, you have to acknowledge your weakness, your heartbrokenness. You're not a strong, powerful person. God won't bless that kind of person. He won't entrust himself to that kind of person. Now, if you go with me over here in the book of Luke, Jesus' teaching has been so radical that in chapter 13, verse 22, someone asked Jesus a question. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus answered, Make every effort, that is, agonize to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Why will they not be able to? Because at the bottom of their heart, even though they've repented of their sins, they still are proud. What are the signs of pride? 
I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to make the best decisions I can make, and I'm in charge of my life. That's pride. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door to us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. And you'll say, Well, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. But he'll reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south. They'll take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and the first will be last. Now I want to read, I want to read some more to you. He's eating at the house of a Pharisee. Chapter 14, verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the place of honor at the table. Pride. Choosing the best for myself. Taking advantage of every opportunity to move myself forward. He said, when someone invites you to a wedding feast... Don't take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat, please. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What I'm trying to get at today, and it's so painfully difficult, is that I know people who consider themselves to be righteous. They say they are following the Lord Jesus Christ. They have great theological understanding and wisdom. But they look down on the little ones and think they are beneath them. They're not pleased with how they pray. They're not pleased with what they say. They don't want to waste their time with these little ones. With the blind, the halt, the lame. I watched something that so encouraged my heart this past Sunday at the National Prayer Chapel. One couple brought a woman who is blind 
Her husband died a few months ago. They brought her, and I watched how they tenderly helped her make the steps up into the house, and then how they treated her like a queen. How in the refreshments after the service they helped her with choosing what she wanted the chips, the dip, the cheese, the apple pie. Whatever she wanted, they they made certain that she had it, and then they took her to the table very gently and helped her sit down. They watched over her like you would watch over a, a tender daughter. That was the heart of Jesus. That was the kindness that Jesus puts into a man's heart that says, care for the lame and the blind and the halt and don't look down upon them. When my late wife was with me, I watched as she would take what I considered to be the lesser talented in my wickedness. Not the rich, not the powerful, not those who could contribute. She took the poor, the lame, the blind, and just suffused them with love and care. And they blossomed under her love. I watched as she did that time after time, and I I began to cry out to God and say, Oh, God, there's pride in my heart. There's nothing that will expose so quickly our pride as how we treat another. When they get wiped out, when they don't seem to be a person of utilitarian value to us, when they cannot advance our cause, when they cannot compliment us and make us feel good about ourselves. And how do we treat that person? It exposes the testing of God in our heart. It exposes the pride. You see, repentance is not enough if it doesn't go all the way into the depth of the heart and give a man or a woman a new heart, a heart soft and tender, a heart strong in waiting upon the Lord, a heart that doesn't just drive itself forward to gain the advantage but to wait humbly before the Lord, to watch, to listen, to let God finish the testing of our heart, but in the midst of the test, to cry out to God and say, Oh God, will you deliver me from this? Remember in the Lord's Prayer? Deliver us from evil. Oh God, 
Your testings are terrifying. Remember the testing of Abraham when he was told, Take your son, your only son, your son laughter, the joy of your heart, Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering before me. And Abraham took his son, took him to the mountain of God, and there lifted the knife and was ready to slay him and would have taken his life. And the Lord said, Now I see that you truly will obey me. God wants to know what's in the very bottom of your heart. Are you resentful of the testings of God? Are you angry about what's happening in your life? Are you disappointed? Then you're still walking in selfishness before God, and your repentance will not save you. Your hard work will not save you. Do you understand? There's nothing more terrifying to me than a person who says, this is what God says, and I'm going to do it, and it doesn't matter how this affects you or anybody else. I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do. I know as soon as they say that, Jesus didn't tell them anything because they're not speaking in the heart of Jesus. They're not caring about others. They're caring about themselves. And they think they can operate under the power of the Holy Spirit when they can't. Nothing exposes the pride of the heart like anger, bitterness, accusation, malice. Nothing exposes the heart like those things do. Trying to create my own secure place and not just laying down before God and saying, Lord, give me a new heart. Give me a new heart. So Hezekiah, repentance was not enough. And all of his good works were not enough. All of his righteousness was not enough. Because God exposed his heart. In his inner thoughts, oh, on the outside he looked very good. On the outside he looked very righteous. But on the inside, he was rotten. Oh, God, my Father, I know repentance does not go far enough if it doesn't bring that new heart filled with tender mercy and humility. I know that pride will block your spirit. I pray, O oh God, for your people today that you will humble our hearts and give to us the gift of true repentance that reaches all the way down into the wicked depth of our heart to purify and cleanse and make us into new people. Thank you, Lord.
pray in your mighty name. Amen. Well, my dear brother and sister, thank you for listening. I pray it's been helpful to you. We're going to go deep this week. I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me, please. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Wednesday evening, there will be a meeting in my home, 7.30 p.m. You're welcome to come if you're serious about Jesus. Go to, just Google National Prayer Chapel and the directions will pop up. God bless you. I love you. Christ our Lord.